Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence." nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes him suffer, or, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mark. I just want to say what a delight it is to be with you today and to worship with you and to experience the presence of the Lord. And uh, I love this church. We visited several times over the years. I love your pastor. You have the best pastor, not only in the denomination, but in the world. (laughs) That's not an exaggeration. Um, I love Pastor Stewart, and I believe that the investment that you are making in him as he is going through his studies and in the uh, securing of his master's degree, that you are making an investment in yourself that will pay dividends for years to come. And uh, you really uh, 
have all of the foundational blocks for a great church, the eyes of uh, the Church of the Nazarene in Canada are on this church, and we believe that this is one to watch over these years. And just as you've, as Leanne has articulated uh, some of the initiatives and the vision for the future, it's clear that uh, the Lord has uh, mapped out a plan for you and you are being obedient to that plan. And I just want to commend you for that. I also want to just take a moment uh, just to acknowledge my family here this morning. All of my, all of our four kids, my wife Cheryl is here, and our four children, Kelly, our eldest daughter from Hamilton. You know Kristen and Bob and Callum and uh, our son Dan from Calgary and also our daughter Leanne from Idaho. Everybody came in to Calgary to celebrate Callum's second birthday. And it's just been a real delight to be with you. In a few moments uh, this morning, we're going to be celebrating together um, the Lord's Supper. And um, these emblems, the bread and the cup that represent the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the scriptures tell us that every time we do this, that we are to examine ourselves and that uh, we are to ensure that we don't eat the, um, the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Have you ever wondered what that means? If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you feel worthy to eat the bread and drink the cup of our Lord? I probably would get a whole variety of responses. Some of you aren't quite sure, are you? So as your preacher this morning, I have one simple goal, and that is that you come to the table of the Lord secure. Secure in your faith. And not just simply secure as you come to the Lord's table, but then as you go out into your world of relationships and activities as agents of God's grace. My simple goal is for you to feel secure in the sacrifice of Jesus. How secure is your faith? Sometimes I'm asked the question, do you believe in eternal security? I have to ask, well, what do you mean by that? The follow-up question is, well, do you, do you believe you can lose your salvation? I kind of hate the way that that question is asked. Can you lose your salvation? Kind of like you lose your car keys. You know, where's my salvation? Man, I just, I just, it was just here a minute ago. Where, where, did, where did I put it? Can you lose your salvation? The tone of the question almost insinuates some kind of a casual, inadvertent, accidental way I can be saved one moment and then in the very next moment I'm on pretty shaky ground. A couple of weeks ago I went to the, uh, the box office of, uh, of a theater to buy some tickets for Cheryl and me to go see a movie. And in the teaching of my early childhood going to a movie in and of itself would disqualify me for heaven. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm learning to be beyond that now. But on this particular day, as I, uh, as I got back to my car and I checked the tickets 
to make sure that I'd got the right time and the right movie, I noticed that these movie tickets came at a very reasonable price. And then I noticed that printed on the ticket was seniors rate. (laughs) I didn't know whether to be happy or offended. There's a guy behind the ticket window and it looked like he was about a 13 year old kid and he didn't ask for my identification. He just assumed I I was a senior. And uh, I found myself immediately in this moral dilemma. Do I go back and tell the guy, hey, punk, I'm not a senior. I I should be paying more for these tickets. Or then I thought, no, I'm taking the discount. What would have happened if in that moment, I, as I was getting into my car with those discounted senior tickets, I'd been hit by a bus and killed? You're probably figuring out by now that I grew up eternally insecure. (laughs) My parents were missionaries. I grew up in Japan and as I was starting out in elementary school, they sent me off to a boarding school and in that boarding school were a whole bunch of other missionary kids from all other churches and all other denominations. And, and even early on, even in our junior high ages, we started to separate into these camps. And it was like, almost like gangs, like the Bloods and the Crips, only it was the Wesleyans and the Calvinists. <laughs> and the Wesleyans were always kind of in the minority. We were kind of the runts of the litter. And the Calvinists, those from the Reformed tradition, they were the ones who were They always seemed to dominate. I envied them. They would seem to be so secure, eternally secure. They had the five points of Calvinism that conveniently spelled out the acronym TULIP, you know, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And they seemed so sure of themselves. Several years ago, someone told me that while the Calvinists have tulip theology, we Wesleyans have a flower too. Ours is daisy theology. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, daisy theology is God loves me, God loves me not. God loves me, God loves me not. Eternally insecure. Is that what we really believe? There's a better question than that. A better question than how secure are you in your faith? And that is this question. Where is your security found? Is your security placed in some kind of an emotional experience that you had years ago, maybe back in high school, maybe back at senior high camp in Camp Armanton. Steve Fillmore and I, we know all about that, don't we? We directed a few of those senior high camps together. And, you know, it's amazing what can happen with five days of sleep deprivation and a diet of sugar and fats and the short-lived relationships of incandescent intensity and holding hands with everybody around the campfire, singing all 100 verses of Just As I Am. And then the speaker tells the story of a camper who last year died in a car accident on his way home from camp, and everybody's just feeling horrible. Everybody would just start confessing to everything. In fact, in the heat of the moment, they were standing up to make up things to confess. Is that where your security is found? 
some kind of an emotional experience that happened way back when. I'm not demeaning the conversion experience, don't get me wrong. I'm not devaluing that crisis moment when Jesus comes and he transforms a person's life and brings forgiveness and new birth. What I'm referring to is, is here is a situation where a person who is hell-bent on going their own way and living in outright rebellion to the will of God, and at the same time trying to find some security in an experience way back when, you know, I'm saved because of that experience when I was a kid, if it has no bearing on where we live today, is there real security in that? Let me tell you where you can find real security. Lasting security, not in an emotional experience way back when, but in a present reality and in an ongoing, continual recognition that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. I'd like to describe that beautiful sense of security as this abiding, indwelling sense of peace. A peace that transcends understanding. Knowing that no matter what circumstances you are facing today or face tomorrow, that you can have this peace that transcends understanding even when those circumstances don't make a whole lot of sense. Is there anything in your life right now that you don't understand? Is there anything in your life that doesn't make sense? Is there anything that is shaking your faith right now? Is there anything that goes beyond your scope of understanding? Did you know that God can give you a peace that transcends that understanding, a peace that that can guard your heart and it can guard your mind? Let me tell you where that peace is found. It's, it's found in the wounds of Jesus who died on the cross for you. We're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. And in doing so, we're going to contemplate on the wounds of Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood for you and me. And you and I can find real security in those wounds. Hundreds of years before Jesus died, hundreds of years before he came to earth, to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, the Old Testament prophet read those, uh, wrote those words that Mark read to us just a few moments ago. And I just want to highlight that one verse, verse 5 in Isaiah 53, where the prophet says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Think about that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. Our transgressions, our iniquities, through our sinning, through our going our own way, through our 
rebellion against his will. It, it, the, the prophet is saying that we are the ones who have inflicted those wounds upon Jesus. There's a very troubling verse in, in the book of Hebrews. It's verse chapter 6, verse 6, where the writer to the Hebrews talks about that when we turn away from God in rebellion, it's, it's like we are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. When we sin against God, when we, when we rebel against his will, the writer is saying that it's like we're pounding the nails in his hands and thrusting the spear into his very side. And yet the irony of it all is this, that those very wounds that we have inflicted upon him are the very wounds by which we're healed. The very wounds, the very punishment that we put upon him is the punishment that brings us peace. Oh, may the wounds of Jesus bring you peace this morning. There's an account in the Gospel of John where the disciples of Jesus are all huddled together in a room and the door's locked because they're afraid of the people that are out to get them. Their master and Lord Jesus had died just a couple days before. And they were cowering in fear. They had failed their master, Jesus, miserably. Jesus had gone to the cross and died, and with that death, all of their hopes and dreams had died as well. And as they're cowering in fear, the risen Lord, the resurrected Jesus, appears before them. He comes right through the door. He scares the living daylights out of them. And the very first words out of his mouth are these words, peace be with you. And then he does the most tender, intimate thing. He shows them his hands, the nail prints. And he pulls aside his robe and he shows them the scar where they had thrust the spear into his side. And then once again, as if to reinforce this message, he says once again, peace be with you. There was a disciple, Thomas, who wasn't there. And when the rest of the disciples are talking to Thomas, they're saying to him, oh, Thomas, you missed it. We wish you'd been there. We saw the risen Lord. And Thomas says, well, until I see those wounds, until I put my finger in his, his wound, until I put my hand into his side, I, I, I won't believe. It's a week later and Jesus appears before Thomas. And once again, the very first thing that comes out of the mouth of Jesus are these words, peace be with you. And then he says, Thomas, put your fingers here. And he pulls aside his robe. Put your hand here. Peace be with you. The wounds of Jesus give us peace. By his wounds, we're healed. He's inviting you today to find security, to find peace, to find forgiveness in his sacrifice. 
You know, I don't know where we Wesleyans have got the bad rap that we're eternally insecure. We should be the most secure people in all the world. And it was Charles Wesley who wrote this old, old, old hymn. He says, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety. Surety is another word for guarantee. Before the Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written in his hands. We sang that song earlier in the service today. It was a song, the before the throne of God above. I've never sung that song before. What a beautiful, beautiful expression. The very same expression that Charles Wesley penned in the 1700s. Arise, my soul, arise before the throne, my surety, my guarantee stands. My name is written in his hands. There's another verse in that same hymn that Wesley says that he says, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. And it's in this next phrase that I really found the title for my message this morning, the pleading wounds. He, they pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. And what do they say? Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive her, oh forgive, they cry nor let that ransomed sinner die. Dennis Kinlaw, his old holiness preacher, he was a president of Asbury Seminary in Kentucky for years, or Asbury College in Kentucky for years. He wrote a book called Preaching in the Spirit. It was one that really impacted me early on in my pastoral ministry. And in that book, Preaching in the Spirit, he imagines this conversation going, uh, taking place between the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity, where God the Father turns to God the Son after they've been kind of reviewing all of the various activities of the day. And the, the Father turns to the Son and he says, um, how did that fellow Kinlaw do today? I'd like for us to kind of apply it to ourselves this morning. The father turns to the son and he says, how did that, how'd that guy Gary Bennett do today? And the son kind of shakes his head. Oh, I was afraid you're going to ask that. He didn't do that great today. There are a couple of incidents where he uh, relied on his own strength and, and uh, it was a pretty pathetic effort. And there are a couple of other circumstances where, you know, he actually tried to improve upon our plan for his life, and it just turned out to be pathetic. It it wasn't a good day. And in Kinlaw's imagination, the the father turns to the son again, and he says, uh, should we give up on Gary? 
the son lifts up his two nail-scarred hands to the father. And he says, no, we've made too great of an investment in him. We're not about to give up on him. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive her. Oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I'm not going to ask you this morning, how secure is your faith? Let me ask this question. Where is your security placed? And may you find security and peace in the pleading wounds of Jesus.